0: following audio is from river city baptist church in richmond virginia for more information visit us online at rivercityrichmond.org dear friends let us love one another for love comes from god everyone who loves has been born of god and knows god whoever does not love does not know god because god is love God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. Everybody loves love, in a way. At least we think we do. We could, I bet you and I could name dozens, if not hundreds, of romance movies and love songs. A little test. I'm going to say the artist, and I want somebody to say the lyrics that immediately come to mind. Usually reverse of what we do, right? Okay. Lenny Kravitz. Anybody? Well, there is American woman. That's not (laughs) what I have in mind. Look at the title of the sermon. You've got to let love rule, right? Okay, here's an easier one. Easier one. Beatles. All you need is love. Okay. I went easy on you. Little Harder, 80s music fan, Steve Winwood, Higher Love, love, there we go, (laughs) bring me a higher love. Right. Okay. Johnny Cash, there we go, (laughs) love is a burning ring, thing and it makes a fire of ring. Right. And of course, maybe some of the most profound lyrics of our day. Hadaway. Anybody? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. What does that mean? I don't know. We know love is popular. We know love is enticing. We devote a holiday to it, right? And our kids give these little stale heart-shaped candies to one another. You can probably taste it in your mouth right now as you're thinking about it those little things. A phrase, however, that's become popular these days that I think is worth thinking on is that phrase, love is love. What does that mean? I I trust you've heard it. It it struck me because it's grammatically very similar to another famous Christian phrase, God is love, but it doesn't say that God is love. It says, love is love. Love. It's very close. What does it mean? Well, t- typically when people use that phrase, love is love, they mean, you kind of know what love means, don't you? I mean, isn't it evident what love means? It's kind of like saying, well, right is right, or, or, or truth is truth. When you, get, when you have a subject and a predicate, love is love, it just means we all hear Know what it means. But also another way of saying it is to say, love is kind of what you want it to be. Love is something inside of you. So look inside of you. If you feel it and you know it, that's love. We get to define love. Love is love. So do do you feel it? Do you know it? Well, then it's love. And that's all we need to have to say about it. Who are you to stand in judgment of me and what I understand I know to be loving, right? In that sense, it's interesting, isn't it? Love is something that our culture, because we all know it's good, and in in some sense unquestionable, love is what we use to justify a moral agenda. I mean, have you ever heard somebody say, well, well, if two people really love each other, well, then whatever, whatever comes from that is good. Well, that, that, that's the point of saying that, right? Or if somebody says, well, if God is really loving, surely He wouldn't. Notice what's going on there. My view of love is saying what God would or wouldn't do. Or, mom and dad, if you love me, you would let me. Right? Love is what we use to justify. But what's going on if our only view of love is love is love, love is something inside of you? Well, then we're using this phrase to kind of justify what we want, aren't we? Isn't that the risk? Isn't that the danger there? It's worth asking ourselves whether or not love really is entirely in the eye of the beholder and do we get to define it by looking inside or is it possible in fact that love is not something from inside that we can experience it inside? Is it not possible love is some from, from the outside? What if there really is something outside of us that is perfect and beautiful and eternal? And that's what love is. So if that's the case... But I'm defining love as something that's just, I'm going to look in me, I'm going to discover me, I'm going to define me, I'm going to express me. That's what love is. If if that's what I'm doing, but love really is something outside of us and beautiful and eternal and perfect forever. Well, That's what I want. I don't want to miss out on that. Here's the danger. What, What if what I call love, you call hate? Or what you call love, I call hate? Well, because, you know, love is love. It's, it's, it's what's inside of me. It's what I think. Well, then what is love then? Again, isn't it? Whatever we want. And it couldn't it be that we miss the most beautiful, most perfect, most eternal thing that's in the universe, beyond the universe, created the universe? If it's not a something, it's a someone. If you're here this morning and you like that phrase. So you're a visitor and, and, and uh, you like the phrase, love is love. I, I'm not here to beat up you know, people who use that phrase. I, I'm not here to, to be mean and critical. But I, I do want to kind of hold that phrase into the light for a little bit this morning to ask you to think about it. And, and I, wanna, I want you to think about that phrase, love is love, next, next to this other phrase that we get from the epistle from John, God is love. What is that? How do we learn about that? Well, we learn from John's gospel, which was just read to us. John's letter was written to a group of Christians trying to make sense of the fact that a contingent of their own number had left the church focusing on their view of love. And John throughout this letter, says mm, we're gonna talk about a better way, a more biblical view of love and the source of all of this love, which is God. It was just read for us. And our particular passage this morning, verses seven to 12, have a very simple point, which is to love one another. So if you go to work tomorrow and somebody says, what did uh, you do on Sunday? And you say, I went to church. Oh, what, what, what did the preacher talk about at church? since I assume people always ask you that in your workplace. And you say, well, it was, it was, it was about loving one another. We're called to love one another. That's, that's the point. That's what John is driving at in this particular text. And that's something we should walk out of here this morning asking ourselves, am I loving my fellow church members? That's the burden he means to rest on each of our Hearts, nonetheless, we all know that this is a heavy requirement, right? We, we feel that burden because we see a dearth of love for one another. And we want to love one another, but we don't. So, so what do we do? Well, in response, John gives us five points, five reasons to motivate our love for one another. Number one, God is love. Why do we love one another? Because God is is love. Look at verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And, and if you glance down and you, you see again beyond our text of verse 16, you, you see that phrase again, God is love. <clears throat> Truly this is one of the most precious and beautiful truths that we hold together as Christians, isn't it? That God is love. Even this morning, thinking about coming before you and talking about this phrase, God is love. I was praying beforehand in the room over there, just like, Lord, who am I to come before your people and talk about you are love? What a a glorious center of the universe. Truth this is, isn't it? Uh, in, In other words, friends, Christianity places this bedrock foundational truth at the very center of all existence, at the very center of our lives. God is love. Whatever God is, He is love. Whatever love is, it begins with God. The one who designed comets and acorns, the one who sustains our souls and our bodies, holds them together, the one who knows every single one of our days before they came to be, He is love. We need need to think carefully about this for a second. So when John says God is love, he's not saying, okay, there's this, this thing out there that's love and God... He measures up to that. As if the dictionary writers were sitting around thinking, okay, what is love? Okay, this is love. And then we all look at God and say, okay, God, well, you, know, you seem to be that. You are love. Rather, love has its source in, its origin and gains a definition by looking at God. So the dictionary writers need to look to God and say, okay, what, what are you like? Okay, that is love. God is love means love starts with God. It is a personal quality of God. It is the very nature of God. When the world is saying, well, love is love, friends, it's super important that you understand this because it means God's own character and nature and everything about him give us the definition and the standard of L-O-V-E. Furthermore, understanding what love really is therefore means looking at everything else about God. We need to look at God's holiness and God's righteousness and his goodness and so forth. His, his righteousness shapes his love and his love is righteous. His Holiness defines His love, and His love is holy. His goodness defines His love, and His love is good because He is love. So what is He like? What is His love like? I need to look at everything about God to understand what His love is like, right? We cannot understand God's love without understanding, finally, everything else about God. As I say, we, we love love in our culture. We, we have all of these songs. We have all of these movies that we devote to it. We think we love love, but remember what I just said. Love is not something independent of God. It, it is a personal quality car- characteristic of God, which is to say anything called love that does not have its source in God or is against God is finally not love. People might say they love love, but if they reject God, it's not finally love that they love. It's something else. Something manufactured. So notice what's happening when people say, well, if they really love each other, of course we should accept. Or if God is really loving, then surely He would What's going on there? Well, people are no longer interested in the God who is love. Rather, they are interested in making love God. Or rather, their views of love. They have taken their views of love and they have dressed it in a glorious costume, God, so that it justifies what they want. Do you, do you see how this is going on? We find ourselves confronted by an idol hid in an utterly convincing costume, a, an angel of light, even. Yet, what is this wonderful, simple subject, state of being, verb, predicate? God is love. What is it saying? It is saying love is essential. Love is characteristic of God. Love is definitional of God. It is saying that God is love like oceans are wet and suns are hot. His goodness is loving. His holiness is loving. His judgments are loving. His discipline is loving. His soft bits and his hard bits. Are loving. His decision to answer your prayer the way you asked it is loving, but his decision to answer your prayer in a way you didn't ask it or want it is also loving. His decision to let you receive that in good thing or endure that really difficult thing is loving. All his plans are loving. His affections and motions, his purposes and persons are loving. Father, Son, and Spirit abide together from eternity past into eternity future forever as love. In fact, that last thing is worth thinking about just a second longer. The fact that his love is a property of his triune nature. Think about a monistic, meaning one person God like Allah. Now, the Quran calls Allah loving, says he loves creation. But think about Allah in eternity past, before the creation of the world, all by himself. Who, who, who what was he loving? It's just him. It, it, it wasn't necessary. Do you see? Whereas, where, where Father, Son, and a spirit in eternity. Pass, Father loving the Son, Son loving the Father, both loving the Spirit, Spirit loving Father and Son, this eternal persons of love. Again, because love is characteristic and definitional and goes to the very heart of who God is, even apart from creation. And so the decision to create and the decision to redeem all of these things too then are love because God is love. So, friends, when we compare love is love and God is love, what do we see? Well, we, we see something that's temporary and utterly centered on every person and what that person wants in a kind of moral justification, a way of justifying what I want right now, okay? And it's it's each each person is doing it for themselves. Looking at me? It's inside. oh, we're looking at something eternal and beautiful and perfect and can't help but, as it were, create a world. And as we're going to see in a moment, send a son into the world and give life. And is focused on sharing his rule and sharing his glory and not just saying, oh, my glory is mine. You're beginning to see the differences between these two kinds of Love. Okay, that's where love comes from. It comes from God. But what does God's love consist of? Number two, point number two. God's love initiates and reaches out. Point two, God's love initiates and reaches out. And this is verses 9 and 10. Okay, so, so what is God's love like? Well, this, verse, verse 10, this is, or verse 9, this is how God showed His love among us. Okay, we we, we can talk in these very theological and abstract ways, Jonathan. Oh, love is definitional. Love is characteristic of God. Could, could you bring that down to earth a little bit? Uh, okay, says John. This is how God showed His love. Let, let me make this concrete for you. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we love God, did it start in here? But that he loved us. Did it start out there? And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, very clearly, God's love initiates. God's love takes the first step. God's love is manifest. It shows itself in that God sent. And that, and that what the verse very plainly says. He sent his son. And who does he send his son for? Well, verse 10 concludes, for sinners. Not for beautiful people, but, but, but for ugly people. Right? Not, not for saints, but for sinners. Not for the beautiful damsel in distress, but for the one who has sold herself. Says Hosea. It doesn't come for the ones who already share his ideological convictions. He comes for the rebels who oppose his ideological convictions. I was trying to think about our own political setting for a moment. He comes for the people who despise him and his agenda. Despise his religious convictions. That's who he comes for. The people who are opposed to him. What is God's love like? Well, it takes the initiative. It reaches out. It's generous. It's so generous. It gives and gives and gives. It's merciful. It goes to the spiritually ugly. It goes to the traitor. The love is love version of love extols, loves the word diversity and difference and inclusion. But in fact, have you noticed it insists on uniformity. It says, I'll only love you if you think like I think. Conform to my way of thinking. And if you give me what I want and affirm me, then I'll love you. The love of love version of love cancels. The God of love version of love sins, embraces, redeems, Father, Son, and Spirit in eternity past decide to send the Son and to send the Son, as I said, for a rebellious people who have not yet conformed, who are in the very act of rebelling. God says, I'm sending Him to die for you. Well, that brings us to the third point. Second point, God's love goes out. The third point, God's love draws us in. God's love draws us in. If point two is the boomerang going out, point three shows the boomerang circling back. God's love initiates and goes out and then it draws in. And how does it draw in? Well, at least a couple of ways in these verses. First, God's love goes out and brings back by dealing with our guilt problem. We're we're guilty before a judge and we need to be legally declared righteous. We're condemned, but before his throne, and he needs to deal with that, and he does deal with that. But not just our guilt problem, he also deals with our corruption problem. We act corruptly, and we need to learn to stop acting corruptly. Let let me start with the guilt problem. Look at verse 10. He loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He comes to make atonement for our sins. That means he sent his son to pay for our sins to remove the wrath that we deserve for our sins that's why Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty that we deserve for how we have lived he deals with our guilt problem but also verse 9 God deals with our corruption problem verse 9 again he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him so not only did Jesus die, he rose again. And he draws us into, as believers, his own resurrection life. He draws us into living like he lived. If, if God is the greatest good, then loving someone means helping them live like follow after God. Do you see? So friends, I, I think of my own life. One of the greatest regrets I have of my own life is how selfish I was before God saved me. How I was nice at times, but I would use people for my own ends one way or another. And God should have punished me. And yet God said, do you see my son? I sent my son to pay the penalty for that selfishness and draw you to myself so that you might follow after me in this resurrection life. And by God's grace, I think I'm a little bit less selfish than I used to be. A toddler, maybe. But I'm I'm hopefully walking now by God's grace in the right direction, this is not love is love. What would love is love have done with my selfishness? Affirmed it. would say, "You've nothing to pay for. You've not offended anybody, and if they have, that's their problem, because you're looking in you, and you know what love is, love is love. You should do what you want. And where would my selfishness be today, 20, 30 years later? Would I be a better person or or just the opposite? The God of love, version of love, however, says, Jonathan, you've sinned. You've offended your maker by being selfish. But I'll forgive you and love to you, and come to you, and draw you to myself, so that you might follow after me, and begin to put to death that selfishness. Now in a room like this this morning, with this many people, some of you do not believe you deserve God's judgment. That sounds weird, crazy, offensive, strange to you. Some of you know that you do deserve God's judgment. I remember talking to a friend of mine, he and his wife were married. They had several children. And yet, before they were married, they had had an abortion. And he still struggled with that fact 20 years later the fact that he and his now wife had done that. What did I say to him? I said, Well, friend, yes, that, that sin is as bad as you think. I have no interest in downplaying the awfulness of that. Sin. A child was entrusted to you, and what did you do? That is terrible. But do you think it's even more terrible than God's love is loving? Do you not realize that God's love outstretches the terribleness of that sin? Do you you think His love is that small? and powerless don't you realize it goes infinitely further than the terribleness of your sin and it wraps it up and vanquishes it and throws it away it cancels it that's who loves you my brother i was able to say to him i would say to all of us friend don't 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 shy away from saying i deserve god's judgment It's only when you begin to realize who you are and confess what you truly are that you can begin to realize how much greater God's love is. How much more infinite. It it goes out. It vanquishes. It draws us in. I'm going to deal with your guilt problem. I'm going to deal with your corruption problem. To love someone is to want their good. If you want a definition of love, a dictionary, to love someone is to want their good. But not just any good, it's, it's the good that is God, because God is the greatest good, right? And for God to deal with our guilt problem and our corruption problem and to draw him, to him us to himself and to teach us to be like him is indeed the greatest good and the most loving thing we can give and point to with anybody. Did you follow the logic there? If I love you, I want your good. Well, what's the greatest good? Well, the greatest good is God. I want you, therefore, to know God. So how can I help you to know God, become like God, follow after God, because that will be the greatest good, and therefore that which is most loving to you? Friends, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you should know that this church understands that the best way it can love you is not to affirm all the things that you're feeling inside. It's to point you to this greatest good. It is to point you to this God who is eternally loving. Even if that means sometimes they say things that you find awkward, weird, offensive. But, 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 they, but they've found not just what love is, but who love is. And so they invite you to know Him by repenting of your sins and putting your trust in Him. Recognize that He lived the life that we should have lived when He came as His Son. Died the death that we deserve on the cross. Paying the penalty we deserve. And then rose again and called us into His love. Into this world and community of love that the, the church itself should be the beginning of as they follow after Him. Well, that calls, brings me to point four. Uh, loves, God's love creates obligations. Uh, that, that call for repentance, God's love creates obligations. God's love creates uh, the obligation to love one another. Look at verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you see? Okay, so if God is love, we, we need to love one another. That, that's what it's, and if he saved us, and if he's made us his, we have to love one another. Now the love of love version of love wants to free us from all obligations, and commandments. The only obligation, if there is one, is to look inward and be true to yourself. And in so doing, what you have finally is this this tiny little universe that goes no further than what what I find inside of me. It's even kind of a black hole, you might say. It sucks everything in the universe to being true to the standard of who am I? Who is me? You would love me. You need to conform to that. It just sucks it all in. Small universe. The God is love version of love. On the other hand, friends, I would say to you, creates an ever-growing, ever-expanding universe. And it does this by creating a world of obligations to conform ourselves to God's love and righteousness. If His love is eternal, if it's infinite, conform. Forming myself, submitting myself, obeying that means obeying, conforming, submitting to that which is eternal, which is infinite. It, it seems like, ah, uh, do I really want that? But then consider what it is. Uh, here, here's an illustration, not a great, but maybe serviceable illustration. Some time ago, a, a single friend of mine admitted to me his reluctance to ever have children in light of all the sacrifice that's required. And I'm like, brother, I understand. Who enjoys a baby crying at 3 a.m. or helping other kids with this or that to get here or there? It means saying no to the things that you want to do at any given moment, right? Yet here's what I explained to my friend. When you're staring at that sacrifice of, of doing what's right and doing what you know you should do. It never seems sacrifice. I don't want to swallow that. It never seems appetizing at first. But when you do obey and you do what is right and sacrifice yourself, okay, I'll help with the homework. Okay, I'll, I'll take you to this soccer game. A Sacrifice. When you do that, for the sake of love, that sacrifice once swallowed, you discover that somehow you are nourished and bigger and stronger. It's like you climb to the top of the hill. It's a rugged hill. It's hard. Oh, I'm sweating. But you get to the top and you look over and you see a a beautiful green valley of of life and nourishment and planting crops. So so no, I don't like waking up at 3 a.m., I don't like saying no to opportunities at work that I would like to pursue. But you know what? It's strange. Several decades in now, I realize I'm not the man I once was. I'm not the single Jonathan that once was. The value of my children and watching their personalities blossom and grow offers a much profounder joy than a night of sleep or an opportunity at work. My, my heart has actually begun to weigh things differently now. The sacrifices and the obligations somehow changed me, somehow expanded me. Life is less two-dimensional, more three-dimensional. Thanks to my four daughters, the sacrifices of loving them, I live in a much bigger universe than the single version of myself ever. Biblical love, in other words, requires us to move out from ourselves. It calls us to draw towards someone who is different. It calls us to forget ourselves temporarily and discover ourselves more deeply. For instance, I am not a woman, and I will never understand fully what it means to be a woman. Yet God requires me to try with this command... Live with your wife in an understanding way. And so my mind must reach and stretch and lead forward in the attempt. I am forced out of myself. My natural selfishness and narcissism is left behind as I'm trying to live with her in an understanding way. What is it like to be in her shoes? And this requires an act of self-denial in the beginning, to which tempts me to self-pity. Ah, I don't want to do that. Why can't she just understand me? It always looks painful beforehand, but ultimately I acquire a much larger identity, a much bigger world. I trust married spouses in here know something of that. A love of love, love is love, version of love, on the other hand, shines that shines the spotlight exclusively on the self, can't help but curve inward on itself. Now for the parents in the room meditating on this text yesterday morning, it, it occurred to me that by God's grace, it's relatively easy for me to understand this idea or to, to feel like I, I get the fact that God is love. That's, that's never been a struggle for me personally why is that well i think because i had parents and other people in my life who did by god's grace such a good job of loving me and showing me favor and showing me affection i I grew up inside of that kind of incubator of deeply loving parents and what a difference i feel like that has made now that didn't do away with my selfishness as i told you but it did help me think, oh yeah, God is loving. God is affectionate. God shows favor because of what they did. E- even in discipline, when my parents disciplined me, there was never any doubt in my mind that it was for love's sake. And so when I see a text that says something like, the Lord disciplines the son he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's not a struggle for me because Praise God, the good gift of my parents. So parents, I'm saying to you, love your children. And loving your children doesn't just mean loving them. It means working to make them feel loved, to know that they are loved. Loved. It means spending time with them and enjoying spending time with them so they know you enjoy spending time with us. My dad likes to spend time with me. Do you see how that affirms and loves for us as parents? I don't do that perfectly. I fail in that. But I do aspire to that. I think we all need to do that in our homes. And then also, He's given us, all of us in creation, this little picture of parental love. But then we take that and then we we apply it, don't we? To our life together in a church. Is it easy to love your fellow church members? Not always. What what if she said she was going to come to nursery on time and she keeps showing up late every week? And can you believe what those elders did? What were they thinking in that decision? can you forgive them can you love them even as you've been loved can you forgive her for showing up late for every week for nursery do you know what he said about me behind my back okay can you forgive him can you love him because god is love and because this God who has loved his son to be an atoning sacrifice for your sins and loved you, when you were speaking behind his back, when you were showing up late all the time, when you were making those terrible decisions. This is how we're to love one another in church. Point five. God's love actually becomes visible in us then when we love like this and it becomes visible gradually. God's love becomes visible in us when we love like this and it becomes visible gradually. That's a long one, but you got it. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made, in complete, is made complete in us. Interesting how that begins. No one has ever seen God. Why, 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 are you, why are you going there, John? Well, at least since Adam and Eve left the garden, God has made himself unseen by human eyes. Yet if God is love and if God lives in us little by little we learn to live like He lives, walk like He walks, love like He loves and people will see Him. Do you see why it starts there? No one has ever seen God. For a second you're like, are you changing the subject? Well, well no he's not. That, the, the, the verse is offering a, con- a contrast. No one has ever seen God but if we love one another they will. That's that's the That's the logic that he is using. Little by little, they will. They've not seen him, but as his love lives in you, they will start to see him. Now, to be sure, this sounds like a tall order. I mean, who of us loves like God? Answer, none, except one. Christ loved exactly like God the heavenly father, and therefore looked exactly like the heavenly father. They see me, they see the father, said Jesus. Yet scripture also promises that we who are God's children and are united to this one, united to Christ, we are being conformed to that same image. We are beginning to look like him as well. That means, friends, As John says here, every Christian in the room this morning is being perfected or completed in love and learning to look like the Father and the Son, you see? So are you discouraged, friend, about the state of your spiritual life right now? Well, do you realize that you love better today, Christian, than you did when you became a Christian? I'm confident of that. I want you to go back to when you were converted. I did this a moment ago with myself, but I want you to think about yourself. Go back to the moment of your con- you were converted. Think just before that moment, what kind of life you were living. Now, let's suppose you stayed on that same trajectory apart from conversion and trace it out 10, 20, 30 years. How would you look today? What would your life be like? I can tell you what I would be like. 30 years later. Deeply selfish, as I said. Terrible. I, 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 I assume I wouldn't be ma- still married. Married? Still married? I assume I would not have a good relationship with my children. I assume my career would be all about me. Pleasing me. Advancing me. And Christian friend, I, I trust, I hope you can see all of God's work in you too since you were converted and you are not what you would have been and here's the deal one day Christian brother sister you will be perfect he will complete that work you will look like the son you will look like the father in heaven friend Christian that is your future loving like that what will this room look like then and our love for each other That brings us back to where we begin. God's love is perfected in us as we learn to love one another. How do we love one another? Well, by looking to God, who is love, who sent His Son by, who's loved us by sending His Son for us. Glance down at verse 19. We love because He first loved us. Friends, we're the planets. We're not the sun. The light does not originate from inside. We only reflect the light that comes by looking to the one who is love. Our love for one another is but the, as one old preacher said, the fair offspring of his love for us. That means this same preacher said, love must feed upon love. Which means feeding upon God. Because God is love. And on the flip side, I would say to you as a warning, don't tell me you love God who is love if you are not loving others. Our love for others is proof that we love God and abide in God and His work is being completed in us. How differently would our churches be around the world if we took this to heart? How how different would our lives look? Let me finish up. The love of love version of love says live however you want. Love people by letting them live however they want. There's no such thing as perverse or misdirected desire, just affirm. Love is love. The God of love version of love says if God is love, then all love is from God. Anything that the world calls love that's not from God is not love because God is love. We love people most in by pointing them to God, who is love. When people who claim to love God, or to love love, walk away from God. They're walking away from love. And we love them most by correcting them and saying, No, no, friend, God is love. You want to know love. You want to know God. And they're choosing something other than love, even though they call it love. If we want to pursue love... We must pursue God. We must follow after God, imitate God, walk in God's ways, listen to God, do all that God says. Remember, He is love. And sure enough, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, models that love for us perfectly. Listen to this. He tells us that He abided in the Father's love by perfectly obeying the Father's commandments. He he says of Himself, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. We, we separate love and obedience and Jesus says, well, the world knows I love the Father because I obeyed the Father. And he says the same thing about us. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. We need a radical reorientation of love and what love is, don't we? If God is love, we love people by sharing the gospel with them so they might know God. If God is love, we love people by teaching them everything God commands so that they might image God. If God is love, we love people by correcting them when they walk away from God. If God is love, we love people even by removing them from membership in the church when they insist on their own desires more than God because the only hope they have of life and love is to recognize that they're cutting themselves off from God. When I was in high school, one of my favorite artists was Sting. And Sting famously sang, If you love someone, you know this one? What do you do? Set them free. And there's times in which that's true, yet it's a partial truth. The bigger truth is if you love someone, point them to God who is love. Such love is patient, it's kind, it is not envy, it is not proud or rude. Uh, Such love does not insist on its own way, as we read about this morning. Uh, Such love, we read this morning, does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in the truth, says John in his second letter. It it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It lays down its life for its friends, said Jesus. Indeed, this is how God loved us. And if you're His, this is how He has loved you. And if you're his friends, what does he have in store for you? Whereas as Jonathan Edwards put it, he has a world of love in store for you. Anything he'd want more than that? A world of love, perfect love, eternal love? Christian, you've begun to taste that. That's yours. And there's only more in store. I pray that he would keep us fast until that day. Let's pray. Lord God, what words can we use even though I've spent 50 minutes, 45 minutes now thinking of your love and have I even begun to express, explain, articulate what you and your love is like? Lord, only by reading the words of this book have I gotten close. Your love is unimaginable. Your love is beyond reckoning. Your love is so good. And yet you have shown it to us. You have made it manifest to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ for our sakes. And so we give you thanks and praise. Help us to love one another even as you have loved us. In Christ's name, amen.